Welcome to Shortcast Over Coffee. This is part 2 of my conversation with Chef Srijit Gopinathan. For continuity, please do check out part 1 before moving over to part 2. In this part, we discuss how Indian cuisine with its different techniques has carved a niche for itself, his life before and after the Michelin star and dealing with bad patrons. Um moving to moving to culinary trends in India, uh I know you're based out of here and and most of your businesses based in the bay area do you follow culinary trends and changes in india uh, two three things i i do follow uh, i mean i've been follower of indian foods uh, today scene I, i always look at what's happening on the other side whenever i go to india i try and dine at places where i think it's uh, where, i mean i go to india mostly to see my parents obviously uh, there uh, one is septuagenarian another is octogenarian so uh, i i i want to see them as often as i can when i can uh, so um uh, whenever i get an opportunity i i do that but uh, india is i mean india is a country for every business. everyone wants to go to india now that's a different story it's not just food everyone tech guy car guy uh, <laughs> insurance guy and every guy wants to go to india now india is a big big place now so uh, food uh, i mean because of all this developments uh, because of all this growth india's indian food scene is also growing people have more money to spend people have more money to spend on r&d on indian food so uh, every segment of indian uh, food is growing the qsr level or the mid level lower mid level the mid level the super fine dining level world's best uh, restaurants in michelin uh, michelin is not there yet, but uh, all these big boys are there in india now so all these all these all these movements are going to get take the indian food to a different level right now uh, i think the number of concepts which are in india is like very comparable to the rest not when i say india is very generic to say it, but i'm i'm talking about the cities the metro cities and the the second uh, tier cities like bangalore's and the uh, all those places so indian food is taking a huge leap right now in terms of in a positive way uh, indians are also getting a little more open to international food uh so a lot of inter- I mean, a lot of chefs from i know a lot of chefs from even california i know there's a restaurant called table and there's one americano uh, all those places so uh, it's huge and and the good thing is it's not just a fancy food it's also people are going digging back into the original cookings of indian food that's important digging out the recipes find, asking their moms and mother-in-laws and grandmothers how they did it trying to replicate their social media of course it, it's one way to monetize it uh, but it's okay if you monetize it but you're also making it beneficial to uh, the rest of the world to see it and to enjoy it so that's that's all good things which is happening in india right now and when it comes to fine dining i must say restaurants like uh, mask in uh, in bombay um, indian accent uh, and many many other restaurants like i don't have anything of my this thing but Uh, mask is doing some serious research on indian food trying to just take it to the completed different level bombay canteen uh, so bombay canteen is another restaurant uh, i mean o pedro so many restaurants i mean so many so many restaurants so that's all a good signs I and mean, very good signs for indian food this will re- reflect uh, in the international scene also when india gets that rich they tend to come out and just you do that con- do those concepts out there yeah right there's this criticism of indian food especially coming in from from westerners that you know it's usually the spice that overwhelms the meat have you heard that criticism it's coming from a westerner correct so the perspective of there 
the premise, the, the, the context they're coming from or the perspective of theirs is actually from their perspective, right? It's not, they're not seeing our perspective. Okay, now uh, how, how do, how is do, uh, a nice consomme or a, or a uh, what is it called, uh, stock or something of that sort made in Western world? Very slow, very, uh, you know, it takes their own time and focusing on, uh, uh, focusing on mostly one single ingredient or two or three maximum. But it's very different. We approach our cuisine very differently. We cannot mock a 10,000-year-old cuisine or 5,000-year-old cuisine cannot try to mock somebody else's way of doing things, right? I mean, we have our own way of doing things. I mean, we could take the good things of any anywhere and just improvise it if, if it needs to be. But when there is no need of improvising, why do it sometimes? You know, There are places which you do. I, I, I learn... I, my, I learned Western food seriously when I was young. I, that's how I started my thing. So I know, I understand that part. But Indian food has its own personality, its own attitude, its own uh, uh, way of doing things. You don't have to go and mock somebody else that uh, do something else. You can be arrogant about it. Not as a, arrogant as a human being, arrogant as a cuisine. Indian cuisine can be arrogant. There's nothing wrong in it. You you deserve to be arrogant. I'm not saying chefs to be arrogant. I'm saying the cuisine can be arrogant. Yeah. Enough, you know what I mean? So it has the power to do it. It's a soft power. India has soft power as Indian Indian cuisine. I mean, you got to give that. Uh, it's 1.4 billion. Am I right? Is it 1.4? Something yeah. around that. I mean, you're, you're like, uh, uh, what is that? Four America put together or three America put together? Yeah. What is that? 400 million people here? Yeah, uh, yeah absolutely. You know, three America put together, uh, kind of a thing. It's no joke. I mean, it's it's nobody can take it not seriously. It's it's a serious ball game. So it's okay uh, to do our own way. Now, coming back to your question, we approach things very differently. And sometimes we approach things opposite. We like to boil certain things to begin with. And the same thing is actually simmered in, in Western world. So that doesn't mean that tomorrow morning we'll start simmering because the other guy was simmering it. That's not how it works, you know. <laughs> uh, so uh, we pour, we, we don't, we don't have, first of all, we don't have a very clarified a soup or a stock or something. We pour this thing into a, for example, let, let's take an example. When we're making a lamb curry, we make a lamb stock. Okay, just take a lamb stock. You take a you you put a lamb stock which has a marrow in it and just literally start simmer and finish off with a good boil because you don't mind having a little milky stock with all the flavor and marrow got into it and then you pour into your lamb curry, which is not clear lamb curry. It's actually a complex aromatic lamb curry which ha which doesn't need to be clarified. In the Western world, if you're pouring a consomme, you can't obviously boil it. You're intending to pour it very clear tea kind of a liquid. So you do it very slowly. There's a reason why people do it and it's okay. So uh, we approach it in a very different way and, and so be it. There's nothing wrong in it. I mean, we don't need somebody else to define our cuisine for us. We know how to define it. Oh, wow. That's a, that's a very, very powerful statement. And that, that brings me to probably the most important thing that that everyone would want me to ask you is the Michelin star. So how has life changed from before Michelin star to after Michelin star? Because I know that Michelin star chef 
will come with a lot of pressure you know increased scrutiny you know people are watching what you're doing and also michelin star also has this this thing where you it can be taken away from you so how do you deal with that that pressure first of all small correction there michelin star is never given to a chef michelin oh. star is star is given no. to a restaurant so uh so uh, people have this thing of saying it as a michelin star chef i think it's the uh it's a flattery which actually they people make you feel that you know most people say this you're a michelin star chef i'm not uh, I, i ran a, i i got uh, under my leadership i got stars for restaurants so that's different that's good i mean which actually uh, now going back to your question um uh, yes it is uh, it is not a lifetime achievement kind of an award it actually it's awarded for that year's performance uh, if you did well you judged based on some anonymous uh uh people who whom you don't know even though a lot of people especially in back home claims that i know the michelin star uh, inspector i have never seen one i would love to see that guy but i've never seen one i don't know one so anyways um um so uh, going back to a question uh, uh it comes with uh, yeah it is really hard to get one uh and yeah, yeah. you've gotten two <laughs> <laughs> i've been fortunate to uh, be part of that uh, part of that little uh, uh, league want to call it league or whatever it is uh, very fortunate um, uh, i have i was taken away once uh, for a hmm. short time for one year uh, we went uh, this one year i remember we went went from 2 to 1 and then came back to 2 right away next year fortunately uh, i mean that makes you it keeps you grounded when you when things like that happens to you, you know it just makes you feel that okay there is and it also feels very good when you get it back and then okay you worked hard i mean you really something went wrong here <laughs> you worked hard i think i think with tsunami and uh, and and the depression you you are pretty grounded i'm pretty sure about that <laughs> <laughs> that's all there but yeah i mean it's it's a great feeling to have a, a restaurant getting a star and your team gets motivated you're motivated business gets motivated financially uh, and investors happy about it all kind of stuff uh, so it's it's an it's a net super positive uh, so it's definitely a great thing to have for sure but it comes with a lot of uh, flip side it comes with a lot of uh, pressure and uh, which leads to anxieties and, and, and difficulties and all those things and uh, you tend to become uh, somebody else at times uh, you you know you you at times under pressure you just kind of turn into something else some people not i don't think i change a lot but a lot of people um lose sight of it and they think that this is this is some i mean it drives you crazy to put it very honest uh, at times if you don't handle yourself really well and i have seen people who go crazy over it and i've take i take my life a little more easier than many people i'm actually a little more chilled out in many areas even though i'm uh, i make my point when i have to make my point to my um, colleagues or uh, partners or whoever it is but i'm also a little chill i mean i i always think that my i always calculate my end goal what happens if i don't have a star what happens if i lose my star i always calculate that part and just see that okay that's all is going to happen right that's fine <laughs> so at the same time you also work hard to keep the star and just make sure you having a star is also a promise you're making not to the michelin institution having a star is also a promise you're making to the people who come to dine with you 
you know, you're actually promising somebody, I will deliver that quality. Uh, it's not that I'll be honest. It's not that always you're able to because you're not food is it's an orchestra. If somebody messes up in between, uh, the ball gets dropped, you know, it just doesn't function the way you want it to function. So you can't be aggressive and crazy and just start yelling and shouting at everyone. Mistakes happen. You live with that and you just manage it and try not to next time and just hire the best quality of uh, uh, resources you can, bring in the best quality of product you can and do the right thing. That's that's all I, I would do. And that uh, I don't know if I answered all, your, uh, all, all the questions there because uh, it is it is tough. It is rough uh, when it, when you have a star, uh, and when it when you go to the second star, it's even rougher. And when you go to the third, even rougher. So it's 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 a it's a different different uh, world, I would say. Yeah, I think only 120 to 140 people have been awarded two Michelin star. If I if my statistics serves me right. Don't I mean I I don't know maybe maybe you're right uh, uh, it's it's expanding now the mission is going into more places probably you'll see more numbers uh, um, I I remember uh, when we got a star at Campton Place uh, uh, we were the first probably the first Indian uh, inclined restaurant uh, uh, which got uh, two star for the first time okay. in the world yeah mm-hmm. I don't think many other Indian restaurants or Indian accented restaurant got a second star at that point there are many restaurants which got one star in in uh, in um, london at that point but uh, not uh, not a two star swami i'm not sure Veera swami Veera swami was... after like like probably like 50 or 60 or 100 years they got a star <laughs> right, right, <laughs> That's right, like right. so many restaurants i mean so many restaurants got vinit bhatia got it and so many places uh, so many people got it but quilon my very good friend uh, and a good mentor kind of a person uh Sri Ram uh, who, who runs uh, uh Quilon he got star for the longest time he still has it uh South Indian food uh and many restaurants second star was, was a little bit of a, a little rarity and then after me I think uh this famous uh chef Gagan got it he got star for us in in Bangkok I think now he doesn't he probably doesn't have a, that restaurant right now uh and then now Dubai uh I, I forgot his name um uh, Tricent Dubai got a uh, two star. I mean, so I mean, like I said, this is just the beginning of Indian food. Expanding. This is gonna go. Yeah, this is just gonna go nuclear in some time. It's like it's an, uh, the cuisine is gonna get what it deserves in the next few years for sure. And slowly you moved from being a chef to an entrepreneur. Uh, when was that? I, so I, I never moved uh, from being a chef. Uh, you I, still I, have I a added chef. one more. I, <laughs> I, I I added one more thing to my one more hat to my this thing just that's all I did but I'm still a chef completely a chef there's nothing I can't take myself away from that uh, you, you know there's an old saying you know uh, you you can take the boy out of the gutter but you can't take the gutter out of the boy uh, so uh, nothing can take the chefness out of me I'm going to be chef for rest of my life uh, entrepreneurship is good I'm enjoying it um, uh, as long as you enjoy it. When you have good people to work with, when you have good partners to um, uh, work with, and when you have good investors <laughs> uh, to uh, spend some money over it, uh, I am very fortunate. I have some great colleagues uh, to work with. I have an amazing partner who's uh, Aisha Tapper, um, um, uh, who's my partner in, uh, in 
these two uh, businesses, Etan as well as in Cobra, and I have other partners outside that I do other little small little gigs here and there. So uh, I've been blessed with uh, amazing partners, and I hope they feel the same uh, about me also. Uh, yeah, sure they so... do. How, how difficult is it to to open a restaurant? I mean, I'm talking mainly with respect to food regulations. Uh, you're probably under scrutiny from the officials and and all of that all the time. Is it is it a very difficult thing to design a menu and you know navigate through the regulations before opening a restaurant? I mean, it's as difficult as any other businesses. It's nothing uh, nothing uh, not doable. It's like you know learning to ride a bicycle. You know when you when you when you when you're starting to learn how to ride a bicycle, it's it sounds like a herculean task i mean it just uh, when you learn uh, riding bicycle you sit down it and start moving i mean it, you just get the balance similarly i mean it's as bad as any other restaurant or as good as any other sorry any other business or as good as any other uh, business so uh, it has its own difficulty you just have to the most important thing is having the right people uh, to invest in it and right people to uh, right people to uh, help you run it uh, it's a teamwork. I mean, it's like a crazy teamwork. It's an orchestra, like I said. It's a lot of moving pieces, moving parts, and uh, it, it, it's so many things coming together. It's not like uh, people like me actually take more credit than I probably deserve uh, in a restaurant situation because there are so many people behind me and in front of me or above me and below me who are doing some crazy things to put a restaurant. For example, I'll 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 give you an example uh, to raise money to open a restaurant, especially on the scale of Copra. I can't do it. It's like it's not easy to do it. If I ha I may be able to do to raise money, but First of all, I can't raise this level of money. It's it's harder to do it. Even if I'm able to do it, I can, my focus goes all into that. And I won't be able to focus on things which I am good at. So that really helps when you have a partner like whom I have an Aisha Tapar, who's stellar in that area. She's She's got amazing eyes to how things should look like. Uh, and how it should suit and you know how how it should fit in uh, and a, a kind of power of negotiating things down into this thing and working with that i mean everything comes with the pros and cons all of us have it but uh, at the same time she has that thing you know so that really helps me do what i'm good at and vice versa for her uh, she doesn't have to focus on what i things what i do and then I have a, a, a colleague of mine, uh, Dana Katsaki, and she's uh, from uh, San Francisco. She's been in this industry for a long time. She, we work together in Campton Places, and she's our uh, chief operating officer. She knows the things which I'm not good at. Uh, you know, uh, things which uh, the uh, the things which takes uh, managing the uh, uh, accounts, uh, making sure uh, the day-to-day -day things are happening, hiring the right right general manager, hiring the making sure the front of the house is is taken care of. So many other things, uh, dealing with the documentation, like, like you just said, that going into uh, the, um, offices and counties and cities and getting th those. So many things. I mean, uh, that way uh, I cannot do as a chef. I can't do so many things. If the question is, can I do it? Yeah, I can do it. But the, like I said, I can't do what I actually do well if I'm doing all those things. So it's 
it's a lot of other people who are actually working so hard. It's not like as fancy as it looks. I wear a chef coat and just take pictures of some people and it makes me look like I'm the, I'm the star. That's not the truth. I mean, it just, uh, that's, that's that. Right. Talking about uh, guests at your restaurants, I'm sure not all the patrons would behave nicely. Uh, have you had any experience? This is just for, for my own, uh, you know, curiosity <laughs> or inquisitiveness. What do you, how do you deal with a bad patron or a bad customer uh, who does not treat your staff with respect? Uh, have you asked people to just leave and not ever come back again? <laughs> I have in my previous this thing I have have I have had situation like that, <laughs> uh, but generally speaking, uh, restaurants are the place where people. I've seen that restaurants are the people where people tend to people tend to unleash their bad behaviors at times, not always. Uh, at times, people now are becoming more respectful and nice. There are a group of people who think this restaurant world is some kind of a it's a service world i understand it's not it's not a world where they they just don't work for you they service you they give you the best they can do they give you what 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 the what the brand promised it's not a place where you take your anger out or show your attitude so there are people who kind of misunderstand that little difference between uh service and slavery you know what i mean there is a there is a there's a there's a big difference between that and people think it is uh, it is okay to kind of uh, understand i mean he he works for me no they don't work for you they actually service you they are to get they're giving so it's a hospital it's hospitality industry we tend to be nice we we be nice to you but return that favor of being nice to them you know, you, you're paying and you've been given service. That does not buy you, that money what you paid for service does not buy you your bad attitude. You cannot sell your bad attitude. That, uh, but most people are uh, understanding now and most people uh, are uh, well behaved. Uh, and there are characters still, we'll, we, we, uh, we, we do see, um, good, bad, and worse uh, at times. Uh, at times, people bring their own that day's mood to the restaurant. It affects, I understand. Uh, uh, at times, people uh, get into, I mean, get into that bad mood because of us. It could be a delay uh, where we made them wait 20 minutes. Uh, or it could be uh, they got a bad, uh, something went wrong. Somebody uh, somebody dropped something on their table or the other thing, or the food wasn't as they as they liked it to be. Like I said, it's a very subjective world. So many things, it's so many things, or the, or the cocktail wasn't good enough, or they perceived it to be too expensive than they actually thought. You know, so many things. I mean, it's it's human beings who are doing this. These are not done by robots or or some kind of a mechanical thing. It's human beings. Like any of us, we do mistakes. We understand. And and hundred percent of the times, I can assure you, if we did that and if we realize that, we, which mostly we we do and we will, uh, we apologize and we just uh, do 
the best you can do. There are so many occasions people take advantage of that too. I have seen people ask. I've literally seen people ask this question to me, not to me, uh, to the managers. I mean that something goes wrong. Or for example, uh, you're made wait for 20 minutes. And honestly, we don't make you wait for 20 minutes. The guy who came in sitting before you came in late and he's taking more time to get out. And because of that, your table is delayed. Okay. It's, I mean, end of the day, the question is asked, is that our mistake? Yeah, it is our mistake because I'm, I promised you service, which I didn't put. The question, the, sometimes most people are understanding very nice. And some people, I've heard people ask the other managers or the server saying that, okay, you lay 20 minutes. What are you doing for me? <laughs> That's, I mean, it almost feels like if you really want, if you're late, we, we really want to do for you. But when you ask that question, it just turns us off. Yeah. You know what I mean? It just, it just, it just turns you off. You know, you really, are you really monetizing on that 20 minutes of delay? And yeah, <laughs> I yeah. Mean, I guess it's fine, but I'm just saying an experience. This happens a lot. And there's another thing which I've noticed with uh, is when they, they, you you come in for the first seating at five o'clock or five thirty, uh, and you just walk in without a reservation. Not everywhere. I've seen this. This this is seen in, not in my restaurants. Generally, I see in restaurants when I'm dining in a restaurant. I've seen people questioning the hostesses. It's a very funny thing. Uh, I've always noticed that when they come to the restaurant, they walk in and they say, "I don't have a reservation." Great. I mean, it might be a Saturday evening or a Friday evening. All the restaurants are busy. They say that I don't have a reservation, but I need a table. Okay, sure. Unfortunately, I don't have a table. Uh, Right now, I may be able to accommodate you at eight o'clock. The answer is, I do see a table there. But <laughs> so it's almost like you do see the table, but there is a guest who's going to be coming there in 15 minutes. Are you going to be finishing your meal in the next 15 minutes? Probably no. not. <laughs> so the fact is, <laughs> the fact is, they don't want to. I mean, they're kind of telling you, saying that as if we don't want to give them a table. We do want to give this happens a lot these are funny moments we think it's funny it's nothing it doesn't do anything we're saying so uh, i i'm one of those people who actually watch as a behavioral thing of people and, wow that's that's a good question there's a table but did you know that that table somebody else is going to come there you think that hostess doesn't like you so it is not giving you a table you know these things a lot of funny moments i noticed i, I love to watch people how they behave they do things yeah, yeah, and and you can also learn from it, and maybe I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, negotiate with uh, them a bit in a better way next time or something. Yeah, yeah. I tell my friends, I tell my parents, saying that uh, don't go to restaurants and do it like that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty big on sustainability, and I tend to ask all of my guests, and I plan to do so about you know one aspect relating relating sustainability in in whatever they do. So. Uh, since you own restaurants or you you are a partner at restaurants, how do you deal with being lean when it comes to procuring food and produce? And how do you reduce waste? What measures do you take to to reduce waste? It's all in the planning, right? I mean, you have to plan. I mean, uh, it's all driven. You you write your menu. Your planning starts from the time you write your menu. Uh, it's not that I don't do mistakes. I've done so many mistakes of uh, doing this. But you, you, your planning starts when you write your menu, and your planning starts actually before that when you plan your kitchen. Uh, 
Uh, if you're planning a kitchen, it starts there. Uh, how how many sections would you like, and what kind of cuisine it is, and and how many items on the menu can be from each sections, um, and one person would be responsible for how many, uh, and so how many people are you? I mean, it's it. It's a big part of the planning and it just comes down to, it starts at the top and it comes down to finally it just comes one full round of being it, uh, being it uh, almost like a, it cannot be no waste. It's impossible to be no waste because you're not, you're not doing a pre-booked event. You're actually doing an open book event. You, you have a reservation coming in, there'll be no shoes. I mean, so many things, it can be a walk-in. So, so obviously there won't be walk-in. There are different ways to uh, uh, avoid wastage, uh, wherein you basically plan your menu accordingly and count your portions accordingly. And over the time, you'll figure out uh, how your menu is performing. Uh, you do a menu engineering, wherein you go into it and figure out what's the highest. I mean, technology is very helpful these days. The POSs, uh, the toast and the likes, I mean, micros and all those. This, the, you can actually go and see What's your highest seller? What's the thing? How many of this thing you're selling? Based on that, you can control your portion size. Uh, and then some of the things which you cannot control, you can find a way to preserve them. I mean, you have the right containers, you have the right walk-in colors, you have the right temperatures, you have the right way of preserving things. Then you can always uh, preserve them in the way that it doesn't, it, it is at least almost same as the day you made and the next day. There are things actually gets better with the day. For example, uh, uh, a Southern Indian pulikulam, or, or you know, something like things like uh, which has more acid in it. It actually uh, tastes better next day. <laughs> so that's natural preservative already. And these days, your technology is really helpful where you can actually make them cry, wag them, and just pack them and keep it for the next day. You hold your flavor. You just you know uh, all those things. So. It's a lot helpful than the than the olden days where you can you can really plan it out. So your wastage um, can be well controlled, and uh, in restaurants like ours, we we want a little bit of uh, extra in the end of the night, which won't be going into waste. Which basically will be will be feeding the people who are closing the restaurant. You know, uh, we also have food. Normally, we put out uh, uh, all the. Uh, I don't want to use the word leftover, but the leftovers after serving this these guests are not not to be uh, called to a minimum leftover. It's actually good, real good food, which you served to the guest like an hour ago. So we enjoyed end of the night also. Um, so uh, in coming back to a sustainability question, um, uh, sustainability is a lot beyond wastage. I mean, sustainability is about procuring things uh, from from your closest possible place, uh, bringing in uh, uh, as local as possible as possible. You cannot get cinnamon from farmer's market. It doesn't grow here. You cannot get banana or coconut from, uh, you have to get things from outside because if you have to establish a cuisine, which is not from here, you will end up bringing stuff from outside. That's diff that's okay, understandable. As long as your percentage of your bulk of the items are from here, for example, water, we don't, at Copra, we don't have bottled water. You know, we, we just have uh, filtered water, which actually we have uh, filter plants set in the kitchen. That's sustainability. So local water, we're filtering it, we're carbonating it. Uh, you know, we we have it. We are our own water plant. So things like that, and then um, try and try and not, uh, use less plastic. I mean, try and use uh, uh, as much as repeat. Try and use things like uh, I use all our coffees are served in 
little uh, dabra and little a little thing uh, system what is it called filter coffees so it's used again it's cleaned and used again there's nothing disposable uh, even if there are disposable items for to go and stuff like that those are uh, we take care of it as much as it's, if it's plastic or a metal which is reusable mostly or if it's paper it is compostable uh, i mean those things uh, are been practiced for sure mm. yeah mm. And this is probably a great place to end the podcast, but not before we talk about your new initiatives, uh, Eat Mamu and Little Blue Door. I know you are doing your bit to uh, in the sustainability aspects with aspect with Little Blue, uh, Eat Mamu. So, if you could throw in some light on uh, your new initiatives. Yeah, uh, it's a company called Sempera uh, Inc., which actually is a mother company of Eat Ma Mamu. Mamu is basically uh, the reason why it's it's funny name Mamu. Back home, Mamu is a different different meaning, but the reason why we came up with that name is uh, uh, it's umami uh, re red reverse with an uh, eye taken off. So that's basically it's made out of mushrooms. Obviously, uh, very sustainable kind of thing. Mushrooms grow under the soil. It needs minimal sunlight, minimal water. Uh, we grow, um, at Sempera, we grow uh, mycelium, which is basically, technically it's a root of mushroom. It's a network which forms underneath the soil. We produce our own uh, mycelium at uh, uh, in locally here in Church Street on in Morgan Hills. Uh, we uh, have an, um, uh, we have a mushroom-based food source we're creating, which can be made in, uh, the idea is to grow in, to feed billions of people. Uh, with uh, uh, basically uh, at, a, at, an, at, at an affordable price, uh, create huge quantities, uh, preferably made in here. Uh, so uh, high source of protein, high source of fiber, uh, you will, when you eat mamu, you won't basically miss meat. You have the umami, you have the feel of the meat uh, and non-meat eaters can clearly enjoy it because if you eat mushrooms, you'll love it because mushroom has a natural umami, a natural taste, uh, all of it. So we've created that uh, uh, egg, uh, similar to a ground meat kind of a, a thing, which is we are not trying to boast ourselves as a meat analog, but we are trying to create a uh, extremely tasty mushroom foods, fungi food so based food source. Uh, you could make a kebab out of it. Uh, it's a ground meat kind of a scenario, non-meat. Uh, you could make meatballs to kebabs to kibes to, uh, what is it called, whatnot. I mean, lasagna to kima to whatever you want to make out of it. So uh, it's uh, it's not available today uh, in supermarkets and shops. We are right now um, supplying it to restaurants and uh, and events and all those things. But some, someday you'll you'll start seeing them in, in, in non-markets. That's that's cool. Yeah. Oh, would love to hear more about uh, Little Blue Door as well. <laughs> little Blue Door is a little uh, small concept where it's like uh, going back to your first question about Indian QSR. Uh, we are contributing to that QSR market a little bit. Uh, we're trying out uh, uh, affordable, clean, healthy, uh, quick, uh, without compromising on taste or uh, or uh, yeah, what is it called? Impacting your wallet too much, uh, you know, uh, to have a quick meal, um, uh, which would be uh, when it comes to aroma and taste and flavor, it will be in the lines of a Copra or a Etan uh, or any other good restaurants in town kind of a thing. Uh, the first uh, store is uh, in um, uh, Los Altos at the State Street Market. Mm -hmm. uh, 
uh, you'll see when you enter and set it on the left side, you'll find a little stall. Uh, uh, that's where we are. Oh, <laughs> great. Well, Chef, thank you so much for your time and all the best for all your all your new ventures and, and with Copra and Etan. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Bala. Thanks a lot for having me. And uh, you do well. And I uh, hope you have a lot of great guests uh, in your podcast. And uh, do well. Uh, Thanks so much. Wow. Indian cuisine can now be arrogant. What a powerful statement. I'll be back with another guest next time. Until then, peace.